Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Today, we're delving into one of the landmark pieces of media research that we look forward to every year, the Reuters Digital News Report. It's published every year by the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism. Just about anyone who's handed in an essay while studying journalism at university has probably cited this report at one stage or another. I know I have. It's arguably one of the most comprehensive studies out there, examining all the major market trends in the digital media world over the last 12 months. And there have been no shortage of key events to contemplate this year. A war in Ukraine, an ongoing pandemic, a cost of living crisis, and fears over the influence of big tech companies. All of this impacts the relationship between the media and the news consumer, from the erosion of trust and audiences' willingness to pay for journalism, to the latest preferred formats, mediums, and platforms. We'll be chewing over 10 of the headline statistics from this year's report with Nick Newman, Senior Research Associate at the Institute and one of the lead authors of the study. This is a must-listen for any digital news editor out there. Nick's insights on audience behaviour and preferences are critical to your long-term survival. So sit back and take note, and don't go anywhere. Nick, this feels overdue, but thank you so much for jumping on the journalism.co.uk podcast to speak to us. Uh, You're very welcome. Looking forward to it. Nick, would you share a little known fact about yourself for our audience, please? Well, this is embarrassing, but it it, it goes back. uh, It's not embarrassing. My first job was as a steam engine driver. It's not strictly true, but I, um, I lit the uh, I lit the coal fires originally, but then progressed to being a steam engine driver. So um, on a on a, a narrow gauge railway, best job I ever had. But you know, brilliant, Nick. We've got a lot ahead of us to talk about with the uh, publication of the landmark digital news report that we look forward to every year. I, I like to call it Christmas in June uh, for the media industry. <laughs> nice. Um, I, I I must know just before we jump into the statistics. How long after publishing the article do you start working on the one for next year? Oh, I have the summer off. It's fine. So we, <laughs> we get underway in September, for real. Great. Well, um, the idea of today is to uh, pull out um, one statistic from uh, each of the major themes in the report and kind of discuss that in isolation to give a flavour of what's going on there. I don't pretend that one statistic will tell a whole story of what's going on, but you know, I would encourage our listeners to go and read the report to get a fuller story. But hopefully we can get a flavour of some of the big themes from the last 12 months. How does that sound to you, Nick? All good? Sure. Sounds good. Let's go. Obviously, the big thing we've seen since the last publication um is is around news avoidance it's something that comes up a lot in the reports um what's going on there what's what's changed nick yeah we've been looking at this sort of intermittently for the last five years or so um but the statistic i'm going to pull out is um 46 percent of our sample in the uk say that they often or sometimes actively avoid the news so these are people who are consuming the news but at certain times or for certain types of stories uh they're choosing not to engage with 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 those stories and that figure is pretty much double what it was in 2017 so we're seeing the sort of you know increase in in avoidance not just in the uk um but around the world as well mm. i mean that 46 percent, nearly half of people and that's doubled uh in the last five years that's significant um how much of that to ask an obvious question is down to ukraine 
Well, we did the we did the survey before Ukraine, right? Um, but then we did uh, subsequent surveys in April, so a month after Ukraine war had started, in uh, a number of countries, including the UK. And what we found, surprisingly, is that, or maybe not surprisingly, is that avoidance had increased, uh, and it particularly increased in countries closest to the fighting, like Poland and Germany. I mean, there was no change in in the in the UK. So, I mean, it's partly, you know, depressing or difficult news, obviously, but it, but it's also uh, I think just the relentless nature of, of of the news in general, whether that's pandemics or war in Ukraine or the cost of living crisis. Mm-hmm. So the news is, is is quite depressing. But I think it's something more than that as well. Um, it's you know it, it it's also that people feel powerless. Uh, there's nothing that they can do. There's no you know in the, in the face of these huge global complex issues that there's nothing that they can personally do do about it. Um, and so. For some people, they just kind of switch off and there's always something more entertaining to do on your mobile phone. Sure. So so what does the report mean by selective uh, news avoidance then? Well, it's trying to distinguish that from people who say they don't consume any news. So we also find a significant proportion of people, a growing proportion of people who don't consume any of the major sources, television, radio, uh, news, fast social media um, or, or online. But this is people who are consuming news, but actively say that they avoid it some of the time. And you touch on kind of the important question is, is there any sort of an antidote, anything form of news which is proving to keep people around, keep them engaged with the news? Is there anything that can be done about this uh, sort of emerging growing trend? Well, that's that's the question because it's obviously incredibly challenging for journalists, Mm. you know, political crises, uh, wars, you know, journalists think these stories are really important. So uh, they also seem to be the ones that turn, turn people away. I mean, it's it's really hard. I think uh, I think some of the one of the most interesting aspects for me was a statistic about people avoiding because they find the news hard to understand. That's particularly with younger people, and so there's clearly stuff that could be done there about sort of accessibility. Quite often, journalists write for other journalists or other people who are interested in news. So I think sort of less insider talk, maybe less focus on the Westminster bubble. I mean, we always talk about that and trying to make news more relevant and i think accessibility is also about formats and trying to find easier ways for people to 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 understand the news so i think there's that and i think there's also you know some people say they avoid the news because they don't believe it you know the whole credibility and trust crisis which kind of leads into the next section which is talking about trust um and and so i think uh you know it's really interesting to see cnn sort of moving away from everything's breaking news um which is kind of overloading people to to sort of differentiating that so not sensationalizing maybe these are these are some of the things the media can 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 focus on more yeah absolutely and conversely explainers primers contextualizers we've seen a lot more of that maybe that helps with the complexity issue absolutely and you know we saw a lot of that in covid last year and we've also seen it around ukraine so i think that newsrooms generally are much more aware of you know what audiences need to know at a particular time that's definitely part of the relevant story but i think we need to go you know this data suggests we need to go further correct correct um yeah perhaps linked but obviously an issue of of its own is around trust uh in the news in the uk this is you know low in in 2021 it was 36 percent, which was actually a surprising bump from the year previous to that in 2022 how are we looking yeah, so the statistic here is 34%. So that's uh, down two percentage points on last year, but actually up uh, a little bit on 2019. But I guess the sort of the overall thing is, you know, what is the trend? And before the Brexit referendum, actually, we were a relatively high trust country. So 
um, people broadly had uh, a fair amount of confidence in the media, the news media, um, and that has come down by 15, 16% over the last uh, few years. We have now one of the lowest uh, figures in our survey. Obviously, the US is lower, but not many other countries are. And, you know, a lot of that is to do with sort of wider divisions in society over politics, over culture, and people kind of see things on the news that they don't like, and they kind of blame the messenger sometimes. So I think that's part of it. And maybe the news media can't do a you know, huge amount about that. But I think there are obviously other areas where, as we've talked about them already in terms of accessibility or providing more value, where, where the media could, could address some of the concerns about the news media. Mm. It feels like over the last few years, we've certainly seen the I don't want to say nosedive, I feel like that's a bit too dramatic, but we've certainly seen the decline and then the media struggle to regain the trust, as it were. At least meaningfully, it's kind of gone up and down a little bit. Mm. Um, is that a fair summary or not? Yeah, I also think we're also seeing trust gaps opening up in society as well. And so I think in terms of you know how you address it, you know, you can do fact checking and you know focus more on the facts. That's that maybe is going to work for for people who already trust the media, but for people who who are using it less and accessing via social media, you probably need to take a, a different strategy. So it's much more of about engaging people and finding new ways to make the news more accessible to people who aren't coming regularly. So so I think this issue of how you restore trust is genuinely really tricky and probably involves a couple of different strategies. Mm, one that we'll definitely keep an eye on. Is one of those trust gaps around young audiences or, or what do you see uh, the trends around how they're approaching the news? Yeah, generally, um, what we find is um, we did extra qualitative work in the UK, US and Brazil with with younger audiences. Um, so we sort of tracked what they were doing and we talked to them about their attitudes. And what we found is they are generally much more sceptical. You know, many of them have grown up with social media, so sort of social natives, and they probably see more stuff that isn't true, stuff from a range of different sources. And so they're just generally more sceptical and they have a they don't have as strong a connection with traditional news brands. Uh, they don't have the same sort of relationship. Okay, you can trust this. You can't trust what you, what you see elsewhere. So the younger audience issue is definitely a big one when it comes to trust. Mm. And and so what's the statistic you pull out around young audiences and where they're getting their news from? There are there are many, and it's it's hard to know the right one to pull out. But the one I'm gonna I'm gonna mention is. Thirty-eight uh, percent of eighteen to twenty-four, so these social natives, essentially now say social media is their main source of news, you know, rather than television or news websites or, or radio or print. And what's interesting is that you know, this is different from millennials, the generation that came came before, who still have this sort of closer connection to news brands. They still remember. Uh, you know, watching television news with their parents or having newspapers landing on the doormat. Um, but this young generation is different. They define news differently. They are less interested in, you know, traditional subjects like politics. And they are shaped by the social aspect of news much more. You know, who is telling the story as much as what the story is itself uh, and the conversation that goes on around that. And so this is really challenging in terms of thinking about how you how you reach those audiences because they're using different different networks, but also, you know, ultimately how you make money or get people to pay for it. Mm. You're speaking to me right now as a millennial, and I remember my dad sending me to the shops many times to grab him a, a newspaper and sit down. With with a warm, fuzzy feeling, right? Yeah, but you know, as you know, to put this in a practical question, as news organisations think about the 38% of young audiences who are getting their news from social media, 
what should what really should be their focus at the moment? Well, it's challenging because um, there's not much of a business model in in these social platforms. So, you know, you could simplistically say, well, let's just put more resource on creating more TikTok videos. But uh, if there's no business model, that's actually going to undermine your ability to fund the journalism that you need to fund. So I think it's a difficult balancing act where you want to, I guess, trying to identify some of those uh, different life stages that people go through and younger people will want different kinds of information. They definitely want trusted information. Um, so again, partly this goes back to the issue of trust, but it also goes back to you know at least starting that relationship through social channels uh, and the places where people are consuming news right now. Yeah, excellent point there because you know we're seeing them young audiences falling out of love with Facebook and in its place TikTok becoming more of a place for news consumption as well, right? Yes, we we are obviously you know huge hype about TikTok right now, and it is the fastest growing. Uh, social network in our data in general and particularly with that you know younger group um, but also uh, for news interestingly less so in the UK much more in other parts of the world so you know we have uh, you know one in seven of people in countries like Thailand and Kenya now using TikTok and it's being used by politicians you know more and, and I think that's coming to the UK and to other countries as well obviously we've seen it in Ukraine as well so TikTok's kind of a, a it, is, is a big story mm. But it's probably, you know, it's probably wider than that. It's about the accessibility of the format. And there are downsides as well. I mean, we spoke to young people, you know, some of them just love the addictive nature of it. And that's why they were using it. Other people actually said, this is not a place for news. You know, this is a place for entertainment. You know, this, this, it, it smacks of lack of professionalism. So some people love the way it looks and feels. Other people just feel it's just an inappropriate place. Again, this is a huge challenge for news organizations. Yeah. You know, do you go into TikTok and then undermine your credibility because you can't tell really complex stories in, in a minute or less? Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that because once you're scrolling, it's hard to stop. Um, has anyone figured out how to make TikTok work for news, in your opinion, uh, at least as a for a strategy or at least a you know an, an editorial strategy? Well, I mean, I'm you know talking to publishers uh, a lot around the launch of this report, and I would say it's an emerging strategy in most cases. So. I think a year ago they said this wasn't really relevant to us and um, pretty much all of them are now trying to develop some kind of TikTok strategy, whether that's about marketing or whether it's about, um, you know, trying to create content and build relationships on the platform itself. And of course, TikTok itself is changing in terms of both the formats that it makes available. So it started as just doing these very, very short videos and they're now getting longer lives, you know, new possibilities all the time. So I think the, the key point is emerging strategy. And you've also seen, you know, media companies like the BBC that said they weren't going to go on, on TikTok because they didn't think it was right for their credibility. Um, changing their minds partly because you know there's a lot of disinformation out there people are there then um, media brands feel that they need to be there with evidence and fact-based reporting as well so you know at least starting to do some some news on TikTok yeah too too big to ignore really I think from from their perspective Um, I think I think you hit the nail on the head around you know the headache of getting people to pay for news we know in the UK not a lot of people do pay for online news Uh, last year it was eight percent this year it's at 9%. The thing I'm very interested in is what's the impact of this cost of living crisis on uh, willingness to pay for news? You know, this idea of the subscription diet, what's what's the statistic you'd like to pull out for us there? The uh, statistic on that is, uh, we. I mean, we need to bear in mind that we asked this question in January. And I think 
back then, the cost of living crisis hadn't actually hit most people yet. So, you know, people knew that energy prices were going up, but they hadn't actually happened yet. And so at that time, we asked people about media subscriptions, how many different media subscriptions you had. And, you know, one of the interesting things is just how many people have. I mean, I'm sure you know this anyway, but not just television and film, uh, where people often have two or three uh, music, uh, audio and podcasts, uh, audiobooks that would surprise me and how many people had those uh, sports subscriptions so actually the outlay across everything they're doing is quite high and then some people have news on top uh, as you say nine percent uh, are people going to cut back you know eight percent said they were going to cut back and I think around around that said they were going to take out more and most people are going to keep the same back in January but I think things have definitely changed and in the qualitative work we do uh, we came across a whole range of people who said, you know, energy costs, um, food prices rising, you know, luxuries need to be cut. People are often going for sort of second TV subscriptions first. But many people also talked about cutting new subscriptions and they were specific about which ones they were going to cut or just being smarter about, you know, taking out trials and then stopping at the end of the trial period or ringing up and getting a lower price. So I think there's going to be a lot of that this year. Um, and of course, that is going to be very challenging to media companies at a time of high inflation and rising costs in other respects as well. You made me think of a question I didn't think previously, but the the, the trial offer on subscriptions is an interesting one. We see a lot of strategies around that. With the subscription diet on the horizon, do you think that should be, you know, play caution to the wind or still a viable strategy? I think media companies are very wary of that because they they sort of look at the data and they know people who come on trials don't stay and it's about longer value. So I think, you know, they'll try and keep the headline price high and then try and negotiate when people want to leave. So I, I think the real watchword this year is going to be about retention. So we have seen significant increase in subscription uh, over the last couple of years for, you know, and you just look at the figures reported by The Telegraph and The Times, you know, they continue to go up. COVID really helped there, that, that idea that news was important and valuable. And, you know, I think the key thing is, can we hold on to those people and can we keep the average value of each of those customers as high as possible? And then when we get into sunnier economic times, then then go for growth again. Mm. The 8%, it's, it's quite a low statistic. Do you think, you know, we've overestimated the impact of the cost of living crisis or actually news companies are doing well to justify the price tag for their work, doing well to retain people? I think that's partly about when we asked the question. I think if you asked us today, it would be much higher. And I don't think we're underestimating the impact of the cost of living crisis. I think it's going to be a really significant problem for media companies over the next uh, couple of years, probably. Mm. Alongside the conversation on reader revenue is also around first party data. Um, since the report that, that was put out 12 months ago, you know, Google did announce in 2023 that they would start phasing out their uh, third-party cookies, um, which would require media companies to start collecting more of their own data. How do people feel about uh, news companies collecting their data, Nick? Well, they're sceptical. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the, <laughs> the, um, the statistic is um, from the UK is, so we asked people what, what percentage uh, have registered with a news site in the last year, and, and the, the figure is 16%. So it's quite low when you consider the BBC forces you to register to to get audio and a range of things and one of the lowest in, again in the survey and I, I think that does speak to a sort of reluctance to or a lack of value that people see in giving up their email for news sites obviously they're prepared to do it for a whole range of things where they're subscribing or where they can see the value and I think you know that's why media companies are really thinking about 
how they can change that number, how they can increase it by offering significant value, whether that's in events, competitions, uh, you know, specific features that you need to put your, give your email address to, to get, because just saying you need to register to see the general stuff, people will often just turn away and go somewhere else where they don't have that barrier. It's really about providing enough value. And so first party data strategies for me need to step up a gear broadly. And then the, the other fact is that uh, other statistic is, is people don't trust news websites in the UK to use their data responsibly, mm. which goes back probably to the earlier figures about low trust in general. They're very closely correlated, but just 21% said they trust news websites in the UK to use their data responsibly compared with 30% for online retailers. And I think it was 16% for social media sites. So, you know, again, there's a trust and credibility issue. And I think that also shows that increasing trust in general is going to be important for all publishers, not just for subscription publishers. It's going to be important for publishers that rely on collecting first party data to increase their advertising yields. Why? What are they worried about in terms of their concerns around, you know, collecting their data? So we didn't ask specifically about why they're reluctant to give up their data, Mm -hmm. but we know from other research that people are concerned about what people do with their data. Much of this comes from past experience, you know, of either having, you know, data abused and data breaches or um, being shown adverts for things that they never asked for and having this general lack of trust and skepticism about how the whole thing works. So this is one of the reasons, obviously, that third-party cookies are being phased out to increase that general trust. But if you talk to anyone in focus groups, that you know they are just full of skepticism and lack of trust about what goes on in terms of you know the digital advertising market and what people do with their data in general. Mm. Transparency, I suspect, will be the key there in terms of overcoming that hurdle. Um, this this wouldn't be complete without talking to you at least about one format or, of news. Um, the one that really caught my eye was around video, Nick. Video, yes. <laughs> I've, I've always been uh, very interested in video because obviously offline television has been really dominant. It's really easy to consume news uh, media and reaches all parts of the population. Um, but online, we find that in the UK in 2022, only 6% say they prefer to watch video rather than read news in text. And that's interesting in a number of ways. Firstly, it's a lot lower than many other countries. If you look at the Philippines or Brazil, for example, around a quarter say that they prefer to watch rather than than read. So I think some of this is sort of cultural and it goes back to strong reading cultures in some Northern European countries. But it's also um, interesting this works across age groups. So younger people also prefer to read rather than watch. And it's kind of slightly goes against the narrative that young people just watch TikTok videos all day. But actually, the reason they do it is because they prefer the control and it's about speed. It's about getting in and out quickly to access the information that they want. And it's also uh, that they find that uh, video often is off-putting because you have these pre-roll ads. So this remains another key barrier to people consuming video again goes back to the difficulty of how do you monetize this stuff and keep it friction free Mm. so so for the uh, digital editor maybe listen to this episode what would be the warning to heed i guess when it comes to these different formats you know what what's the main takeaway here don't abandon text uh text is your baseline if you like Text is also limiting, right? The things that people value about video are the connection, uh, being able to see things, 
the emotion that comes through with video. So, so really what people want is a combination of things or multimedia, you know, and what is a TikTok? Uh, it's a combination of all kinds of different elements, right? So, you know, I wouldn't underestimate the importance of video platforms. In, indeed, I'm on record as saying, I think we're sort of seeing a bit of a second pivot to video. Um, growth of YouTube has been quietly growing for many, many years, becoming much more important. Uh, and and obviously we mentioned TikTok already, but I think this is really a world of and. It's not, you know, you do text and you stop doing video. It's about how you can provide news in a range of formats that are appropriate and relevant to different groups and how you can do it with a limited set of resource. Yeah, the world of and, very, very true. Okay, I'm going to do a quick fire round with you uh, on the last couple of points, uh, just like a key stat, uh, how it paints a picture of where we're at right now and maybe one thought for the future. Sound good? Okay. Podcasting. Podcasting. Um, the key stat here for me is the growth of Spotify. Uh, in the UK, 30% of um, podcast users use Spotify now. That's overtaken BBC Sounds, which was number one last year, and really cementing its reputation as a sort of single place for audio. And I think, you know, that's going to be really interesting going forwards because uh, in terms of, you know, Spotify owning the next click, who owns the data, these audio platforms are also going to be incredibly important misinformation misinformation 61 percent in the uk say that they really struggle to make uh, a distinction between what is true and false on the internet when it comes to news that figure hasn't changed uh, a lot it's obviously one of the elements of low trust but i think what has changed is the kind of misinformation people see so you know a few years ago it was all about politics increasingly it's about uh, covid and it's also now not just Facebook, it's also, you know, TikTok, Telegram um, and some of these newer platforms that maybe don't have so many processes in place to stop it. Wonderful. Last but not least, polarization. Polarization. The figure I'm going to pick is actually from the United States because I, I, I find it eye dropping that 14 percent of people who self-identify on the right trust the news, only 14 uh, percent compared with. 39% on the left. So people on the left broadly trust the news media. People on the right hardly trust anything the news media says. And I think that really helps to explain, A, A it shows huge polarization in, in the US, but it also helps to explain why that stonal election narrative and many other narratives uh, gain so much traction because people are not really listening to the news media and they're listening much more to uh, politicians or, or, or others who, who are pushing those kind of lines. Mm. I feel like there's an important follow-up question here. I'm just trying to get my words right here does it make more sense for a news company to play into the beliefs of their audience given given what you've just said there or or should they be challenging more uh it depends what you think the role of news organizations is you know is it to pull nations together or is it to, to to create content for everyone or is it to serve specific sections of readers and i think you know digital has allowed you to identify and target specific groups so we definitely seeing more partisan media often funded by donations or uh, subscription models built on trust and loyalty with a particular group rather than trying to create loyalty across you know a much wider wider group i think that's increasingly difficult as as societies become more divided. Nick, um, thank you so much for this conversation. We've covered a lot of ground and there's a, a whole lot more we could have talked about, but we probably need another 30 minutes to do that. Yeah, in any case, um, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, thanks, thanks for jumping on the show. Thanks, Jacob. So where do we even start to summarize all of that? 
Well, it seems to me that a major action point from this report is that the media generally needs to address alarmingly low levels of trust. Winning the trust of the wider audience seems like the starting point to solving many other issues, like getting people to pay for the news, to part with their data, or even just to follow you back on social media. The other part of the equation is value. Is what you produce worth the retention and money in a digital world and attention economy full of countless other subscription services and social media channels? When audiences have to tighten their belts financially, new subscriptions could find themselves on the chopping block if they cannot justify their price tag. But what did you find most interesting and crucial from the report? You can check out the full findings on the Reuters Institute website, and then you can tweet me at JPG Journalism or the wider team at journalism.co.uk at Journalism News with your thoughts. Also, if you'd like to feature on the show or you've got a topic or story you want us to cover on the podcast, do get in touch. I'm on jacob at journalism.co.uk. And finally, if you like what you heard today, you can check out more of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. That way, you won't miss our next exciting episode. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.